0: If you would turn to Psalm this evening, <clears throat> number 16 is where we will start. And we will be jumping around just a little bit here and there. If you notice that I'm uh, uncomfortable at times um uh this morning or some other times, I'm not used to doing that, flipping back and forth. Nothing wrong with that. I just uh, it's not typically how I end up uh preaching most of the time. And so uh we will be there uh, mainly I I get off with it because I start a whole new passage and then I kind of want to explain that whole passage and then uh, I end up off track somewhere along the way. So I feel like I have trouble focusing sometimes. Uh, So it's not that one way is better than the other, uh, but it's that my brain functions one way or the other. Uh, But for these next few weeks, we're going to be seeking out God's Word in this topic of prayer. As I mentioned, we are going to get back to the book of John eventually, and we will start some other expository studies and some other books as we finish this out. But for the next, I guess it is, three Sundays or so, we'll be examining some ideas of prayer. You say, well, how for three Sundays in a row are we going to be studying on this topic of prayer? Well, the word prayer is in our Bible 123 different times, not to mention the times it talks about Petition or asking the Lord something. Just simply the word prayer is mentioned 123 times. So we're going to cover all 123 in the next six serves. No, just not all of them. Some of you had looks of fear in your face when we mentioned that. Uh, But it is a topic that God emphasizes. And we mentioned this morning, looked at those scriptures this morning, that He longs for us. And we don't look at Him as a pleading, needy God who wants attention. That is not his intention when he tells us to pray, but he is our creator and he knows what we need and he knows what will satisfy us and he knows what will give us deepest joy and not in a selfish or a uh, sinfully prideful way. He knows that that thing is himself. He knows that what will bring us greatest joy in life is our relationship with Him and our satisfaction that we find in Him. So when He commands us, encourages us, and tells us to pray, He doesn't do it as a needy one just wanting a conversation for attention. He does it as one trying to fulfill our need and our satisfaction of joy in Christ. And so as we look at that these next few weeks, we need to keep that in mind. That as we look at prayer... We cannot simply condense it down uh, to a simple definition or to a simple purpose. It holds many different purposes. It is not just that god we ask God to accomplish our needs and our desires. It is not just that we communicate and speak to our God, though that is important as well. Uh, Prayerlessness is, in a way, uh, one man wrote it this way, prayerlessness is a rejection of God. As though you were to not speak to a family member, uh, it would offend. And it, in a way, is an offense to God when we don't speak to Him. And when we cannot find the time or the interest to pray to Him. And I was trying to be upfront this morning. This is a a huge struggle of mine. It is a place that I've always found myself Struggling consistently, over and over and over, as times get busy, as uh, my heart may have uh, sin in it from one thing or another. Um, I saw one man that wrote it out. He said it this way. He said with the. Um, massive uh, amount of resources at our disposal. You can listen to sermons from around the world all week long and not even get a fraction of them listened to. You can read books. You can download them to your phone. You can read books on prayer. You can listen to certain All things that help encourage you spiritually. And sometimes we can force our dependence on those things rather than solely, completely depending on Christ, and sometimes our uh, dependence is rerouted to this preaching needs to lift me up, or this book needs to lift me up, or even just simply reading God's Word needs to lift me up, but there is far more that God intends for us. He wants this two-way relationship back and forth, and we mentioned this morning that the root or the goal of every prayer is to glorify Him, but to glorify Him in Him, giving us joy and showing our dependence on Him. I want you to look at Psalm 16. We're going to launch out from one verse in that chapter. And then we're going to look at, uh, I believe, seven different prayers of Scripture. Showing us that we can pray out of any moment and out of any feeling of our heart. So if you would look at chapter or Psalm 16, verse number 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, when God <coughs> saved us, if you're a Christian this evening and he has saved you, this verse is not saying one day when you are in heaven, you will find the fullness of joy. And one way when you are physically at his right hand, you will find pleasures forevermore. Though that is true. I do not think, and it is not the intention of God, to be saying that to us here. Just wait, and one day you're going to find pleasures evermore. One day you'll find fullness of joy when you're in my physical presence. There is more to that than this. There is more to it than just being in the physical presence of God. It is the spiritual presence of God. And one of the key ways in which God tells us to enter into His presence, in fact, the only way in which we can go to Him with our petitions, is through prayer. And so if God gives us this gift of prayer, we would be silly not to use it. If you would flip over, I'll kind of give you the next one that we're going to uh, each time, and we'll get a little bit ahead as we go. But look at Psalm 63, if you would. Psalm 63. The prayers of Scripture are amazingly diverse, and so we're just going to look at a few of those tonight, we'll look at some more throughout the next few weeks, <laughs> and we're going to find in them some words that we can even pray ourselves. Do you ever find yourself struggling in prayer? Or am, am I the only one that struggles in prayer? Do you ever struggle to know what to say or how to say it? I was having a discussion with someone, Uh, Today, actually, two different people kind of voicing the same thing uh, that we sometimes judge our own prayers in a way. I do, at least. And I remember growing up and hearing different lessons on prayer and even going through college or whatever it may be and taking different courses that talk a lot about prayer and all these different things and feeling like I needed to be the one that balanced my prayer. And almost as though it was like some locking combination lock that when you twist it just the right way, it unlocks the presence of God. But that is not true. It doesn't teach us you need to have this many sentences of repentance and this much confession. There are some religions that teach that way. We do not find that in Scripture. It doesn't say you have to say this many words, though we need to confess, though we need to repent. It doesn't say you need this many words of thanksgiving, though we need to be thankful. It doesn't say when you make your request, a certain amount need to be for other people and a certain amount need to be for yourself, there's no perfect combination to this. God wants us daily to depend on Him in prayer, regardless of how we feel or, or what we're going through or what our experience is. There are certain moments of our lives where it feels like it's a little easier to focus on the needs of others, maybe when our own needs are supplied. That does not mean that when we do have our own needs, it is selfish to go to the Lord in prayer. I struggle to... Thinking that way sometimes that, well, I'm just being selfish by how much I'm praying for myself. It doesn't mean that I want to kneel down and pray for a new car 500 times a day. But when I see the fact that God shows me my need for himself, prayer is simply... Asking God for things as we mentioned it today, but not just physical things and riches and physical blessings. It is asking God for the things that we need most. It is asking God for the right desires. It is asking God for the right heart. It is asking God for His strength. It is asking God for His wisdom. It is asking Him to work in me and give me a desire for spiritual things. My greatest need in this world is God. And the only person and only being that can give that to me is God himself. The church cannot give you God. A preacher cannot give you God. A book cannot give you God. You cannot give your neighbor God. Your mentor cannot give you God or, re- or a real relationship With him, though we can point others to that, the only one that can give us what we really need and what we actually long for is God himself, because that is the only thing that can satisfy and give us real joy. And as we think about these prayers of scripture, what we're going to find in a moment is that in them, each of them coming out of totally different hearts, totally different circumstances, each of them express a need and dependence on God for real joy and real satisfaction. These prayers are going to cover a spectrum of human experience that go from adoration, strong declarations of faith, exultant joy, prayers that are uh, perplexed over God's ways, groaning and suffering, confession of sin, deep laments, uh, confusion, desperation. And in each of these prayers, you still find rooted in them an expression that God You alone can give me what I need. You alone can give me joy and satisfaction here on this earth. As we just read a moment ago, only in your presence is fullness of joy. Only at your right hand are these things that I must have. And only in these pleasures, these pleasures from God, I can only find them in you. So we're going to look at Uh, Very quickly, really, we're just going to let the Word of God speak through this portion of tonight's uh, message. I won't even say too much about each of one of these, uh, but I'm going to mention to you what they kind of uh, promote or, or out of what type of heart they are born and then we will read them. Okay? So number one, and if you, what I've done in uh, my Bibles at times is I'll uh, highlight them a certain way or I'll draw a little arrow beside it and put a P beside it to let me know as I'm glancing through that this is a prayer. When I need to find prayers quickly. Of course, I can look things up on my phone and different things, but as I'm scanning through my Bible, if I see a PI, that's a prayer of God. And then I may put underneath of it uh, some of these words that we mentioned here to kind of show me what type of prayer uh, it is born out of or what heart this prayer is born out of. Number one, there is a prayer in Psalm 63, a prayer that savors God. This is a heart that is having a moment to meditate on the goodness of God. It is a heart that is thinking about God. It is a heart that is really in joy. It doesn't express a dire circumstance. There's no terrible thing necessarily going on in this in the life of this psalmist at this point. And so as he writes this, he is simply savoring God. But as he does, he expresses his satisfaction in God alone. If you would, look at verse number three. We won't read all of each of these prayers. We'll read portions of them that highlight Uh, their main idea. Look at verse 3, if you would, of chapter 63. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. He says, in the joy of life, when I experience the loving kindness of God, it is better than life itself. It transcends any joy that I can get from physical things or success or even family or relationship or love that I find here on this earth. This transcends it. What transcends it? That I know the loving kindness of God and because I know that loving kindness, I will praise thee. Because I know the work of your hands, I will bless thee. My soul, notice he says by marrow and fatness. If you want to if we want to really modernize what he's saying here, it's like a steak dinner, is what he's saying in, in essence here, and not a lean steak either. Okay, a steak in which you would feel maybe a little guilty about as you go. He's saying, "I I feel that way." You know, have you ever eaten? Something? It may not be steak for you, but you've eaten something, uh, maybe over the holidays or something along the way, and it puts you in a certain feeling and mood of in that moment. Just physical satisfaction. Now, I mean, it, it, obviously it won't last long and it won't last forever, but he's saying in, that's the only way he says I can describe this, as, as the psalmist says. He said, you know, I know we're, we're humans and we find joy and enjoyment in food and that God is." blessed us with the ability to taste and enjoy those things. It's a gift that God has given us. It's one of the first gifts that God gave Adam and Eve. He says, take of every fruit of these trees. I'm going to provide for it." It's a pleasure that God gives. And the psalmist here says, the only way I can describe how I feel about my relationship with God is just a deep, full satisfaction of joy. The same way that we may feel satisfied by physical things, he says, I find that spiritually. I find it eternally in God. And so we find out of this meditating, savoring heart of God, we find that this says He has joy. Number two, if you would flip to Psalm uh, number 84. Psalm number 84, our second prayer here from Scripture. The First prayer was born out of a heart savoring God. Second prayer is out of a heart that communicates a deep longing for God. So in the first one, he says, I'm totally satisfied by you. I savor you. I meditate on you. You are enjoyment. You are fulfillment. And then in this second psalm, this second prayer that we're going to find, he expresses it a little different way. I don't know that he is full at this moment because he shows a deep longing for God. It is not that God satisfies us. He could satisfy us spiritually every moment. But in our sin nature, we know that we waver. Our minds are distracted. Our hearts are turned away from Him. And when they are, God has created something in us. Even when we are lost, we have an innate longing for a relationship with God. But especially as Christians, God created us that when we are not in communion with Him, we should not feel right We should not feel at ease. We should not feel fulfilled and full of joy and satisfaction without a direct, real relationship, constant relationship with God. And so that's more what this idea or this prayer is born out of. It may be a heart that is not at the moment fully satisfied by God, but it is a heart that longs to be satisfied by God. So look at verse number four, if you would, just to highlight this particular one. Psalm 80, or excuse me, verse number two, Psalm 84, verse number two, it says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. He says, my soul faints, my soul longs, my soul is weak without the Lord. And when my soul is weak without the Lord, that's what he says at the beginning of the verse. What does he say he does at the end of the verse? Notice what it says at the end of verse 2. My heart and my flesh what? Crieth out for the living God. So what does he say? The answer he said, My soul longs to be satisfied as I know that God, only God can satisfy me. How can I have that? What should I do when I long for that? He says, I pray. I pray out of a desperate and Empty heart in a way. When I am not fully satisfied by God, but I long to be fully satisfied by God, how do I do that? Nothing of myself. It starts with I must cry out, I must pray. And so sometimes we feel as though we need to get ourselves spiritually right to be able to pray to God, but God says the opposite. He says, come to me when you are longing, when you are desperate, when you are empty, that is when I want you to come. That is the moment that I am always... And He says, I am always listening, as we mentioned this morning. Look at Psalm number 40, if you would. <clears throat> Psalm number 40. We're going to find, we've seen a prayer of Psalm that savors God we've seen a prayer that longs for God now we're going to see some examples of requests you say why are we going through all of these because I, I don't know about you there are moments in which I do not know what to say in prayer um, I, I I know I'm not the only one that has felt that uh, before um, moments after in the moments after dad prayed i felt a closeness and a peace to god in those days that uh, came afterwards a longing and a pain and a hurting yes but also a, a peace that came with it but i'll be honest i i don't know that in those days i formed many verbal prayers to god in those few days right after i i tried and i i just don't have words and I wanted to pray and I knew that God was hearing me and he knows the thoughts and the intents of my heart even more than I do. And so my refuge was to go to some of these Psalms and you walk through and you're I'm just going to pray what you gave me to pray. Because your words are better than my words and at the moment I can't form them right. And so I'm going to speak this and we kind of have that here in Psalm 40 and we can use it as our own. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then down in verse 16. These come out of a heart longing or rejoicing in deliverance. So when you think about the deliverance of God, look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Look down at verse 16. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, But such as love thy salvation or thy deliverance say continually, The Lord be magnified. So notice what he says. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my what? Cry. So we have this one, this heart that savors God, praise. This heart that longs for God, praise. Now in verse 1 of chapter 40, you have this heart that is waiting for God. And what does it do? It prays. You see the consistency here. Whether you're longing, whether you are full, whether you are waiting, the answer is to pray. And he finishes by saying, let those that seek thee rejoice. It doesn't mean they've found him yet. Rejoice as you seek God, as you look for him, as you wait for his deliverance. Take joy. And then he finishes he says, the Lord be Magnified, You see, again, that principle that prayer is about the glory of God. And when we seek Him in dependence on Him, it glorifies Him. And so, as you see, this heart that savors God, it prays. This heart that longs for God, it prays. This heart that wants and waits for God, it prays. A heart, number four, and you can turn to Psalm 85. A heart that longs or seeks for to be revived of God. A heart that longs to be made new. This is sort of the example of a heart that has been uh, in sin and now is repentant and turns to God. So we'll say it that way. A repentant heart prays. So we have a a heart that savors God praise. A heart that longs for God praise. Waits for God praise. A a heart that is repentant toward God praise. In fact, this psalm is prayed when Israel was under the discipline of God due to sin and for instance, the son of Korah would pray this prayer. Look at verse number four. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy. Notice those next two words. O oh, who? Lord and grant us thy salvation. So notice, when their hearts are repentant and ready to turn toward God, what did they do? They prayed. They didn't necessarily, though they probably did do good actions, it wasn't, my heart is repentant, I want to follow God, and I'm going to go do some great thing for God, though that was probably to follow. It doesn't say, my heart is now repentant, and so I'm going to tell everyone else about it, though that probably came with this eventually. It doesn't say, my heart is now repentant of my sin. I'm turning from my sin, and I want to follow God, and so I'm going to figure out what's next in life. It says, my heart is repentant, and so what should I do? I should pray. The same thing that my heart should do when it longs, when it savors, when it waits, it should do when it wants to, when we bring to repentance, and that is to pray. Look, if you would, at Psalm 51. We're going to have another example of that. Repentance. David, we know, this is a famous Psalm for that. David, after he has sinned with Bathsheba, Bathsheba, comes in confession, seeking forgiveness of God. And he comes in a way of deep repentance. In a way of a heart that is broken. We'll say it that way. This comes from a broken heart. Broken by sin. So when my heart is repentant, I pray. When my heart waits, it prays. When I long, I should pray. When I savor and enjoy God, I should pray. So what should I do when my heart is broken because of maybe even my own sin? Look at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll read verse 12. Have mercy upon me, O oh God, according to Thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly and, uh, from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Then notice verse number 12. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, and uphold me with Thy free spirit. He says, my heart is broken, and I long to be restored. And what is he doing? He's praying. And often we try to figure so many things in our own lives out for ourselves, don't we? What do I do with this broken heart that I have? Uh, how can I take care of it? What should I say? What book should I read? And those things may be important. How, who should I talk to? How should I find encouragement? How should, should I get away for a while? What should I do to just let myself rest? Well, what the Bible says you do first with a broken heart is that you pray. And when my heart longs and when it waits and when it repents and when it savors and is pleased by God, no matter those things, I pray. I should pray. We should constantly be looking for each thing in our spiritual lives to drive us in a way to our knees or into a spirit of prayer. When I have a victory in God spiritually, it should drive me not to want others to see that victory, but to pray and thank God for that victory. When God answers a prayer and it fills the joy of my heart, yes, I should want to tell others, but I should long to pray. When I find something of God in His Word and that satisfaction that comes over me in the fact that this life is not just about here, it is about eternity and I find joy in the eternal bliss of Christ and what He has done for me in salvation, what I should long to do, yes, tell others and yes, serve Him, but it should make me long to pray. It would be a shame to live our lives as Christians, living out a life that is saved from sin, trying to be joyful, trying to tell others, trying to do all the God things without ever actually speaking very much to that God. It would be sad, it would be disappointing, and it is. God has created us not to feel fulfilled when we don't live in communion with Him. Often we wonder why we struggle in our spiritual lives. I am in church constantly. I go to everything that I know to go to. I encourage myself with uh, music and songs that edify my heart and point me to Christ. I try to avoid and stay away from sins and things that I know that are evil. In my family, we try to do the right things, yet something still doesn't feel quite right. Well, maybe sometimes it is because we are doing all those things without true dependence on God himself, without actually speaking to him and asking him. We can fake our way through many things in this life, but you cannot fake what God does internally in your heart. And sometimes we know that we are not where we should be in life, and the source of that is, I have failed to pray. I've failed to speak to the one that has worked in my heart in the first place. Look, if you would, in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we'll see another one. This is from a heart of severe, if you want to write it down this way, out beside these verses, this heart is a heart of severe affliction. <clears throat> this prayer comes from a heart of severe affliction. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words Of my roaring. O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season and am not, and am not silent, but thou art holy, O Lord, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Go back to verses one and two, if you would, for a moment, because this does not feel like any of the other prayers that we have heard so far, does it? God, I long for you. You bring you, you bring fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. You are the longing of my heart. You will restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And now here comes this prayer that says, God, why have you forsaken me? And as brash as it sounds, it feels like the psalmist has got something wrong here, right? He, he's off. He's not doing this the way that he should. This is not a prayer. To, if someone comes and prays this prayer when they're praying for the offering, or on Wednesday night we have someone pray for uh, the prayer list, or we open, if I were to open the service in prayer and say, God, why have you forsaken us? Everyone would do, look around. What is what is going on but in this moment the affliction of his heart is making him feel this way and what does he do he expresses that to God and though he knows that God has not literally forsaken him and by his presence left him alone he's expressing to God exactly how he feels because God knows exactly how he feels Because in this moment, this wouldn't have worked for the psalmist to stand up and say, God, this has been hard, but you know that my faith is strong and I trust you and I'm going to plug forward for you because that is not how his heart felt. And who would know that better than God? So it wouldn't have done any good to walk into this prayer and say, God, we're going to make it through when his heart feels something totally different. So in a moment where he is afflicted and in a moment where there is doubt in his heart, he prays. And you say, well, something still feels off about that. Well, does something sound familiar about these words? Who else prayed, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ did. Because Christ knew that God had walked away and forsaken him as his son? No, no. But in an example, in a way, in the affliction of his moment as he bore the weight of sin and as it describes it as though the, fa- as the father turned his back toward the sin and the judgment that had been laid on his son, in that moment of affliction, what did Jesus do? We, sh- we, we should, yes, pay attention to the words of this prayer, but more than that, we should pay attention to the moment of this prayer. In a moment of doubt and affliction, he just says what his heart is thinking and says what his heart is feeling. I don't know exactly. That, that has always baffled me a little bit that Jesus prayed this prayer from the cross. And as I think about it, and I've read I don't know how many commentaries and different books of people surmising and making their <clears throat> kind of guesses on why and how he said that, and did he feel alone? Did, he feel this th- did, he, did, he, did God really leave him for time? Was the presence of God broken from that of his son? Was there no spirit interaction between the two of them? And th- the truth is that we don't, we're not given the details of that answer, but here is what I see and find in that. Jesus felt forsaken for us. And on the cross, He suffered the feeling of being forsaken by God, whether physically that happened or not. And in that moment, what did He do? He prayed. And so when we feel that forsakenness of life, when we feel alone, when we feel distraught and confused, what should our action be? Dig our way out of it. Plug in and just do more, and yes, there are benefits to serving God through pain, but first he says, You pray further down in that same passage, look at uh, verse twenty six He says, The meek shall eat and be satisfied; they shall praise the Lord that seek Him, your heart shall live forever. What a change of tune from my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me to The meek shall eat and be satisfied. Well, what is that? He has sensed that God has made him meek. He has to be meek because of how he feels. And in his meekness, he finds strength in God who satisfies. Notice every passage that we've gone to, every prayer that we've gone to so far expresses a different heart. A longing heart, a waiting heart, a wandering heart, a repentant heart, a sinful heart, an enjoying, full, and satisfied heart. And what did they all do? They all prayed. And what did they all do? They all expressed some form of joy, knowing only joy, joy is only found in God. Let's look at one final one this evening. Psalm number 88, <clears throat> if you would. Psalm number 88. This one is a little different again than the others. If you want to write out beside verse 1 and 2, this comes from a heart of despair or we could say desolation. Similar to the one that we just read. He says, "O God of my verse 1, O God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry." For my soul is full of troubles. My life draweth nigh unto the grave. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Now as he writes this, we again do not know, as it says for the Psalms, (coughs) of course, if the Psalm writer himself truly was at the moment of death. But he says in that moment, I feel the impact of death in my heart and whether it would be his own or someone else's he says in that moment of despair and desolation there's one moment in life well there's many of course but there's one defined moment in life that no matter who is there you must face alone and that is death you can be walked there by family you can be brought to the edge of this life by those that you love, but you cannot cross it with anyone else. You go alone. And as he expresses that here, my soul is full of trouble why I draw nigh to the grave. So what do I do? I pray. Let my prayer be come before thee, incline, lean your ear to me. Is what that says. And it's a beautiful picture that even in our weakest moment and in our dying breath, we can plead to God, lean down to me one more time. And no matter if we're physically facing death or we are facing the effects of death or we are facing the effects of just simply confusion and the despair of our heart from the fact that things are not as they should be on this earth, what should those moments bring out of our hearts? should bring prayer. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. When my heart is longing, my first thought is not often to pray. My heart is repentant, ironically. Sometimes my first thought is not to pray. When my heart is full and satisfied. Have you ever walked out of church, maybe on a Sunday morning or sometime, you walked out of church and thought, man, that was encouraging. You know what is ironic about that? How many times has it happened to myself where I walk out, man, that was encouraging. That song really pointed me to Christ and and made me feel good about my Savior. And then the sermon pointed at this, and God worked in my heart, and I'll go to my car, and I may drive home. And I'm thinking, man, that was so good. And I never say a word to God about it. It's a struggle. I don't know why it is. Well, I know some general reasons why it is that as humans that we struggle to pray. But even in our spiritual moments, sometimes we fail to pray. One author wrote that all of our greatest failures are prayer failures. And when you examine these Psalms of Scripture and see what heart they were prayed from, it's hard not to agree. So I wonder tonight, your heart may not fall into one of these seven prayers. It may not fall into one of these But it falls somewhere in line with a prayer of Scripture. Your prayer, is it one of desperation or despair? Is it one of longing? Are you at a moment right now where you are satisfied, where God is working in your heart? Is your heart right now longing for another's joy and peace and satisfaction or salvation? Is your heart waiting for God to do a certain thing? Waiting for an answer to a certain prayer? God doesn't say come. Remember that, remember that verse we read this morning where it talks about the watchman on top, of, uh, on, on, on top of the walls and it says, do not cease from praying. Never stop letting it come out of your lips. It says, come after me over and over and over. God did not say pray it once and then wait for me to answer. He doesn't say pray and then have great faith that one day I'll answer. He says, come over and over and over again, if your heart is a waiting heart tonight for one reason or another, what is the answer? Our answer is to pray. And as generic as it feels to say in a church service of people on a Sunday evening, we need to pray more, the very blunt truth, I'm sure, of each of our lives is that we need to pray more. Is that things in our lives come and draw us to God. Don't let, it let us draw it to God by how you feel, let it draw you to God and pray to Him about it. If you have felt pushed away from God and you're longing for Him, pray to Him about it. If you have joy in your heart, pray to Him about it. We should walk through our day as I've... Sorry. One of the hardest things about losing dad is there's been so many times... Where something happens and I just want to tell him. <laughs> and um, opening day of deer season this year, I got a eight-point <clears throat> deer, an eight-point buck, and was packing him out. It was a long walk; about two miles to walk out with it, and so hiking it out. And the whole way, I was just like, I, c- I want to call Dad <laughs> and tell him. I just want to tell him. And I knew that it didn't happen. I wasn't confused as to what was going on; it was just a desire. Things that have happened in the church in the last few months. Good things, things that have gone well, renovation things, physical things, spiritual things, baptisms, and uh, people that have come and been here, you know, I just kind of want to call them afterwards and say, Hey, everything went went well today. (laughs) It's a longing in my heart. Things that happen make me think I want to tell Dad. Uh, Even hard things. Dealing with Pop these last few hours makes me want to call and say, Here's what's going on. And I am so rebuked this evening that my heart does not always feel that way about my God. That things don't remind me to pray quite as often as they should. And it reminds me, though, I have a physical father I cannot speak to. I have a heavenly father who never stops listening. And yet I struggle. And so if you would this evening pray with me.